Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So, Grace O'Neill, how has it been offline? Oh my God. I feel, I literally feel like I've woken up out of a cult. Yeah. Or something. Do you feel like this? I feel like it's been quite profound getting off Instagram. I kind of do in a way. Like mm-hmm. I think I think mine was more a time suck thing. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like I was running out of time and didn't have time. I was just like, how does everyone else have so much time? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I would wake up in the morning and I'd roll over and pick up my phone and scroll on Instagram for ages. And now when I wake up in the morning, I literally pick up my phone and the only thing that has happened is like maybe a whatsapp from my family in new zealand probably not and like some emails an email yeah that's it and, and so i've started I, being like i've started being like check your emails when you open your laptop mm, at your desk so mm. it's not the first that you look at as well yeah and that's just a healthy way to be a human um so if everyone hasn't caught up we both have deleted Instagram from our phones. I had kind of been, I think both of us had kind of been on and off for a while where I deleted the app from my home screen and then I delete it from my apps completely and then I'd reinstall it for like a work thing and to post a work thing or something and deleted it again. But for the past few weeks, we've just been barely using it. Yeah, but you were much more like the canary down the mine with this. <laughs> you were, where you were just like, Instagram is like fucking us up. And I was like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. And then it took me a little bit longer to be like, no, yep. <laughs> I was, like, I was like, Grace, why don't you get off Instagram? And you're like, I'm barely on it, bitch. Yeah, but this is the thing. I was like, oh, I have lots of like safe, like the restrictions around it where I don't let myself look at it in the morning and I'm only allowed on an hour a day and I turn my, my phones in the other room during a work day and all this stuff. So I really thought I was the kind of person that wasn't addicted to Instagram. Yeah. And I think I had a ma- like massive addiction to it. 
And it's only because getting off of it has made me realize that like, even when I wasn't on the app, it was informing so many decisions I made through the day, which is really embarrassing to yeah, it's, admit. it's crazy. I walked past a wine bar and thought, oh, I'll have to book in and go there with someone that'll be so cute. And then I realized in my head, I was like, you want to go there because you want to put on Instagram that you went there. That you like know the cool place. That you know a cool yeah. newly opened place in well, whatever area and it had this really cute decor and stuff that I – my first thought was like I want to take a picture of that. Yeah. And then I was like if you didn't have Instagram, would you want to go somewhere that's going to cost you £18 for a glass of wine? No. Like I there's know. so many things like that that I feel like I do day to day that I do with this Instagram mentality. And I think the funny thing is is that if people are listening to this thinking, oh, my God, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> you're right. It's, <laughs> you're right. But also you'll be like in the exact same headspace without realizing it yet. Mm-hmm. That'll be you a few weeks ago because it takes like fully even just stupid things like what you would do with your weekends if uh-huh. you weren't thinking about Instagram. And mine's mine's like less about – what I wear or I don't know. I think for a lot of people it's specifically posting and this will be so many single people or so many people who have enemies or like frenemies or whatever, where you're posting on stories literally to like thousands of people or however many followers you have just to get to one person. Yeah. Or like three people. Yeah. Or three yeah. people or something. So you think about, I don't know, for example, a few weeks ago I was at this park and having a lovely picnic and I posted it on my stories to be like I'm having fun with friends in London yeah and I think there's the pressure with us as well because <laughs> Wait, I want to tell you and I literally Wait. checked yeah. to see if I had seen it because I was like ha I have friends in London and ha I'm having fun and now I'm like no one gives a shit they yeah. don't and I used to think they were embarrassing because they didn't post on Instagram they never post on Instagram and now I'm like oh that's so much cooler better yeah no totally and I think that that's the realization I had as well, where I was like, Instagram makes you go around because it gives you, it's like normally if you moved overseas, for example, 10, 15 years ago, you would maybe hope that if you were doing really well, it would kind of trickle back to people that you knew didn't wish you well or Mm. ex-boyfriends or frenemies or whatever, but it wouldn't impact your day-to-day life because you would have absolutely no way of connecting with them. And the fact that we now have this device that connects us to every person we've ever worked with, every person we've ever dated, every person we've ever been friends with, every person we went to high school with, every family member, it's like really unhealthy to be living your life thinking about what all those people would think of it if they were looking in at what you're doing. And then once I got out of that mind space for like literally only a week and a half, I just realized how insane it is that we all live like that yeah and it's also just so narcissistic when you when you take a step back you're just like why on earth did I think anyone gave a fuck that I was like going for a walk in the park yeah (laughs) yeah that I saw a pretty like flower or that I hung out with some friends or that I went for dinner like it's so insane it just feeds narcissism and it feeds that like individual mindset where you think it's literally like the cult of individualism put straight into uh-huh. an app where uh-huh. we're just like, everyone gives a shit about me, me, me. It's like your own little... It's like the like, Truman Show. Like you're living of, your own... Your own yeah. little like sect of fame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean anything, but to you, it feels as meaningful as if you were like Selena Gomez because yeah. it's tr- triggering those same... Because it does it on purpose. ...response signals. Yeah. Well, I've now become obsessed with Jerron Lenier, who's that really cool guy who was in The Social Dilemma, and he's got that really like effeminate voice, and he has white dreads, which I guess is like hashtag problematic. But he, <laughs> he basically, in one of the talks I was watching that he did, said two really interesting things. The first thing he said was, and this is so obvious, and I know that we understand this kind of, 
But he was like, because apps like social media, apps like Instagram and Facebook are monetizing you changing your behavior towards certain corporations end goals. They work on a system of reward and punishment like you do with a dog where they give you the equivalent to like a piece of candy and then they withhold it and then give it to you and withhold it. And that makes you at their kind of beck and call. And he was like on social media, that's likes and engagement. So if you have high engagement on one post and you don't on another post, you're thinking, oh my God, this outfit is ugly or I'm embarrassing or people don't like me anymore or blah, 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 blah. Whereas Instagram is like literally purposefully following a high engagement post with a low engagement post to keep you guessing what it is that you're doing wrong to get engagement. Mm. So you're being tricked into thinking these very genuine thoughts about your value as a human being by a computer system that is indifferent to like what's going on. And I don't know why that had never fully clicked in my brain before where I was like, oh my God, like this is such a thing where we just engage with, oh my God, a lot of people commented on this but not that or some people commented on my last thing but not this are they like angry at me or like yeah (laughs) are we not friends anymore or something and it's literally just being purposefully hidden so you'll feel insecure yeah I was like why would you spend your time in a place like that (laughs) I know and I was just thinking about it as this whole I think when we were talking about the TikTok creators from last week and how they're just all this this like burnt out group of young kids living in these houses mm. where they're just churning out content like fucking factory workers. Yeah. I was like, we are literally just this generation of people all as a bazillion documentaries have said before, as a bazillion like op-eds have said before, where we were just all walking around glued to our phones with our heads down while all of these people just make billions of dollars off it off the fact that we're like zombies and not only that but this guy i was just talking about he was like it's literally going to spell out the extinction of our human race which i know sounds like so dramatic but he was like us having our head in the sand right now is like the worst time in human history that we can have every single young person distracted obsessing over themselves because <laughs> obsessing we have, over themselves literally literally because it's like yeah. we need to all be like mobilized and focusing on stuff like especially just climate change Hmm. but we've all the exact moment we should all be obsessively like rallying the government and going to protests and writing letters and doing collective action we're all just sitting with our heads down posting fucking selfies of what we're wearing and being like like, sustainable swimwear by blah 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 blah. it's or like sharing stuff on our um oh my god it's a madness sharing activism slides and being like that's me done yeah yeah it's it's it's, bad So yeah, haven't been on Instagram at all, FYI, for anyone who may think that we are ignoring them. Yeah, I have to say, because we have to, for work, be able to go on desktop version to look at other people's Instagram content, because sometimes it's relevant. I do technically go on sometimes, (laughs) so I just want to feel like I'm lying. Yeah. I replied to a DM the other day. Yeah, I'll occasionally open desktop to see if I've had a DM that I need to reply to from a friend. But I literally, a few weeks ago, I was just like, message all my friends who messaged me on Instagram and said, text me. And then not nothing, like nothing happens in there. It's like a barren waste. No, there's a barren waste. Yeah, totally. I just want, if someone sees it and it's just like active now and people are like, Grace is a fucking liar. That's why. Oh, I think you can turn that off, by the way. It doesn't need to say active now. Oh my God, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I can turn that off. <laughs> anyway, what have you been doing? I binged a bbc show called starstruck mm-hmm. it is by the new zealand comedian rose Matafeo, and she lives in london currently but also in the show she lives in london and 
basically on the first episode, she hooks up with this really hot guy and it's an actor called Nikesh Patel. And when I was watching it, I was like, I know this guy from somewhere. Where do I know him from? And then I went to his IMDb and was like, wait a minute. And then my boyfriend was like, what? And I was like, I've interviewed him. <laughs> he, was like, he was like, how did you not remember that? And I was like, I was like, no, it's crazy that I do remember that. And he was going to be in the new Mulan, which came out. And when I was flown, when like Disney randomly flew me to Queenstown, New Zealand from Sydney, Australia to interview Mulan and like the cast, I spoke to, to interview him. Mulan. <laughs> the yeah, Mulan. The Mulan. Um, and and the cast, he was one of the people I interviewed, but then they ended up like cutting his scenes from the movie. So Aww, he was never in it. Shot it, but he's such a hottie. And I remember being like such a babe. And so anyway, in the show, he's a famous actor and she doesn't know that. And she has a one night stand with him and then wakes up the next morning and goes downstairs into like his bougie apartment and sees this huge poster of him. And she's like, what the fuck? And then starts like Googling him and she's really funny. So she just woke him up and was like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> he was just like, what? Oh, I want to watch that. Um, yeah, it's really funny. Good on a Kiwi smashing it in the UK as well. Yeah. She's a New Zealand comedian who used to go out with James Acaster. Right. And we had this big plan that we were going to set me up with James Acaster when I moved back here. Yeah, we are going to try and like interview, like, interview him on the interview pod Interview him on the pod for no reason. We'd be like, so what's your new show about? So wink, you're a wink. comedian, eh? <laughs> It's just this random British comedian. She's not the one who left him for Rowan Atkinson. No, but his other girlfriend left him for Mr. Bean, which is like so hilarious. Honestly, like Rowan Atkinson's fucking hot. He is like not now because he's in his 60s, but like he could get it. I understand. (laughs) (laughs) What about when your literal girlfriend leaves you for Mr. Bean and you're a comedian? You would just be like, okay. Okay. It's like Pete Davidson just has all that content. But it's like great material. Yeah, it's great, no, it's great yeah, material. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Lucky him. What have you been doing? Okay, so I listened to this interview with this woman called Sarah Shulman on the Ezra Klein show, which is a New York Times podcast. I find Ezra Klein quite annoying, mm-hmm. but he's very good, smart. Yes. Yeah. So I've just, I don't know why I've just decided to suck it up and listen, but Sarah Shulman is really cool because I'd never heard of her and I don't know how we missed this book. Cause it sounds I have, amazing. I have heard of her. Have you heard I of don't this? know. No, I've heard of her name, but I don't know why. Right. So she wrote a book in 2016. She's like an author, playwright, yeah. cultural critic person. And she wrote a book in 2016 that got write-ups in like New York magazine and everywhere called conflict is not abuse. And it's basically a book about how, our generation specifically, but humans in general, if they've experienced trauma or oppression or, yeah. I've talked about this on the pod. Have you? She didn't interview the cut and Uh I talked about it um, and she was reading out bits from Conflict is Not Abuse about her ex-girlfriend who, like, was abusive. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, Mm. so you were across this. I wasn't across this. We need to read this book and interview her on the pod because she's so cool. Yeah, she's so cool. And in this new interview with Ezra Klein, she talks a lot about AIDS because she was in ACT UP in New York in the 90s. Oh, sorry, the 80s, which was a massively successful AIDS collective. And she kind of connected that to her book, Conflict is Not Abuse, where she was talking about the fact that like ACT UP was such an effective activist group because they took this pro-conflict attitude within their ranks where they were like basically her idea of conflict is not abuse is this idea that conflict is like a very healthy necessary tool for communication and that you should be made to feel uncomfortable in conflict situations and that that's not tantamount to someone 
emotionally abusing you. Mm -hmm. And she goes on in the book to talk about Israel-Palestine. She's Jewish as a really great example of trauma-informed people who can't get out of the victim mentality to the point where they can't see the fact that they're oppressing others because they're so used to seeing themselves as being victims. And this idea of seeing all conflict as abuse to you because you've experienced abuse when actually the conflict could be conflict you're instigating Mm. and are responsible for or conflict is just conflict and even if it triggers something in you that was abusive it doesn't make that experience actually abusive yeah this is such a white woman thing too it's the biggest with, white woman with feminism yeah. just for example like white women just being like we have it so bad because women and a lot and have it bad like we are obviously sexually assaulted scared to go out at night you know mm-hmm. we get raped we get murdered Rast, yeah etc we have less opportunities in the workplace but it's such a white woman thing to be like we're so oppressed when we are literally the people right below white men. Yes. And it's like a white middle-class woman has it so much better off than mm-hmm. like a poor black or brown man. Yeah. Or like any other any other group in the entire world. But we're yes. busy being like, what about us? Yeah. And like I couldn't problems. possibly because I've been through this. And I think we saw that happen, for example, like you see that happen in workplaces with, you know, kind of toxic bosses, for example. It's like they obviously came up from being junior employees, maybe junior female employees that were treated really, really badly. And then by the time they get to the top, they're so entrenched in this idea of themselves being like victimized by the organization Mm. that they're still acting as if they're in that position. And it's like this lack of awareness about the fact that the dynamic has totally changed. Yeah. Like it's like a power and a class thing. Yeah. And if you're in a different, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I find that so true as a white woman as well, even with things like, I'm trying to think of an example Like, say if a a man came up to me on a train and tried to start talking to me, I'm still, like, in my head the same as when I was 13, where I wasn't in a position to be like, fuck fuck off. off. Now I would just let a man talk to me for, like, 30 minutes and then get off and be like, oh, my God, this horrible thing happened to me on the train. A man talked to me. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, instead of being like, hi, I'm sorry, I don't want to talk to you. I'm an adult woman and I can say that to an adult man. It's like we are kind of trapped. And I know that the right always, like, victim mentality, so we don't want to talk about that. But I think there's, like an element of that that's true mm. where we don't constantly clock the way we've our, like place has shifted in society yeah or even just the space that we take up mm. in telling our stories when it's like there are so many other stories that need to be told but because white women are afforded a bigger platform and a bigger space we're just like screaming and yelling about like the sarah everard stuff for example is like the biggest example of that where white m- women everywhere were like being like I've also felt uncomfortable walking and like, yeah, I've also had this. And it's just like, it's not even about that. We should be talking about the fact that most sexual assaults and most murders happen to people in lower socioeconomic classes and Mm -hmm. black and brown people. But instead, white women who, yes, it does still happen to and who, yes, are still a minority compared to white men are too busy being like us 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 yes like, uh, we have had problems and it's like just shush, shush exactly and we're almost like not given the tools because we live in a society that kind of infantilizes women it almost doesn't give us the tools to be like assertive even in like work and business and phone calls and stuff like that i feel like in the last year is the first time where I've, i don't know how but i've just like come into myself in terms of being able to be like I don't have time to do a two hour meeting or like I'm, I can't make this or like this is what I can offer you or like you're blah, blah, blah. Or like can just be kind of short and sharp and to the point and assertive because I finally started to see myself as just a professional in a professional space working with other professionals, not as a young ingenue coming in, wanting everyone to like them mm. and being confused about everything. And it's like you're almost not given the tools no, as women all. to shift 
you just have to figure it out on your own. Yeah. Which is why I think women really struggle to communicate with each other in the workplace because we're coming in as like kids and then we're shifting to adults and we like don't know how to change. I saw a tweet the other day where someone was like, please ban the phrase hi lovely from professional emails. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I was like, yes. I do that all the time. Yeah. Hi lovely, just chasing it on this. Like, why? Why? That's weird. That's anyway, so true. So that interview was really cool. But in terms of the activism thing, she was basically just saying that ACT UP had people who thought that the only way to achieve things was to like, literally, I think there was like a case where they unrolled a giant condom across the attorney general of New York's front like yard as a protest or something. And heaps of people within ACT UP thought that was stupid, but they just let them do it. It was just this idea of we can all disagree and have healthy conflict with each other as long as we're just focusing on doing shit that's actually effective. It doesn't matter. Mm. And I think now there's so much, like you've talked about with Adam Curtis and like, is it hyper-normalization? Mm-hmm. This idea that we spend so much time sitting and talking to each other about the right way to do something. But instead like of just gets done. Yeah, instead of just yeah. all going out and doing our separate things and then agreeing to disagree or have conflict behind the scenes and it's just not a big deal. Yeah, well, like you think of that with Black Lives Matter, for example. Mm-hmm. You're like not going to be able to represent all of the black people in America – and, what, and all of their separate wants and needs. Some people want reparations. Some people think reparations should be paid. Some people don't. Some people want this. Some people want that. You're never, ever going to be able to, like, fully get the entire group of, like, African-Americans to agree to one thing. Yeah. One way to fight. But it's, like, Because important. they're fucked off and their way's wrong. And, like, that doesn't represent the rest of the movement. It's just, like, it, it's just a movement yeah, yeah. of people doing their own shit and trying to... To try and get, yeah. like, collectively something done about systematic racism <laughs> totally and we're like i feel like we're such a conflict diverse society like i'm even thinking to things like when man repeller and glossier and stuff were getting like called out on social media i feel like i fell victim to this idea of like conflict is not abuse where i was like oh my god if you're being piled on on social media you're kind of being abused in some way like you're being dogpiled whereas it's like no it's just opening up uncomfortable conflict it's very different to like actually being abused obviously mm-hmm. within that conflict there might be people who are hurling abuse is inappropriate but the idea of calling someone out and being like explain this change this even though it feels uncomfortable it's just conflict like it's just part of being a person it's not some like be all and end all crazy horrible thing yeah it's necessary for any change yeah yeah that's so interesting we should definitely have her on the pod yeah speaking of um change yes (laughs) uh victoria's secret kind of pretty quickly after we recorded last week announced that they uh Ditching their angels, so that was around, I think, 14 women who they work with all year round, and they're the women who represent the brand, and they're also, you know, the faces of the Victoria's Secret fashion show, which for that, they bring in a bunch of other models, and it's kind of been this thing where across the years, models have just been obsessed with walking the Victoria's Secret show and been obsessed with becoming angels. And then obviously after Me Too and after Savage X Fenty came out and after everyone started being like, what the fuck is going on with Victoria's Secret? Why are we all obsessing over these women? The brand like took a big step back, didn't do a show last year. And then their founder was like linked to Jeffrey Epstein, Epstein, right? It was that Ed Razek guy who I think he was like the chief marketing officer was, or something he had such like sketchy such foul um, energy energy apparently, <laughs> apparently um such foul energy. <laughs> apparently he had a clause in the girls contracts where if they posted they always had to tag and at him and yeah well, that him. was obvious because they were always like i love you ed razek and i was like why is it like yeah what? yeah yeah why you fucking creep 
So then they've come back with like the biggest what is it what's this the, truly the most like shameless yes, rebrand shameless. i was like what's the word in, the most shameless rebrand in like history i can't even think of one that's similar to this yeah so they have signed on a vs collective which includes megan Rapo i actually don't know yeah the soccer player priyanka chopra adut akesh love love her get that paycheck honey get that paycheck <laughs> must be a huge paycheck it has these, to be yeah these women Paloma. to sign on yeah, Paloma. Where the fuck else are we? Valentina Sampaio, who was already one of their yeah, so um, she's new recruits. She's a trans model. Yeah, quite crazy. So they've signed these women on who are apparently going to, like, they're kind of on the board, basically, where they're going to advise Victoria's Secret on what to do. And they've also kicked out all of the old men who were at the top of the company. And now it's run by all women apart from one man. Um, Is he the one that was like, my daughter said, do it, dad, do it for the Gen Zers. Oh, <laughs> God. No. Like, no, she oh, didn't. I can, oh, my God. <laughs> it was his 15-year-old daughter who persuaded him to join Victoria's Secret. She said, do it, dad, do it for us, the Gen Zs. Gen Z doesn't give a fuck no, that, about that Victoria's is, Secret. I would bet my right arm on the fact that that exchange never happened. I've done that before with my little sister. I messaged her and said, I'm going to quote you as saying this, okay? And she goes, that, <laughs> and she goes, that makes me feel, sound really smart. <laughs> I just made it up. And Thank was you like, for pretending that I care about like yeah, you know, it was the Guardian. the climate. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, obviously VS had to do this. It's always interesting to me like how companies that big can misread a room so massively. I honestly think if they if Ed Razek hadn't done that interview with Vogue, this wouldn't have happened as soon as it did because remember he did that interview before the Victoria show that you went to, which yeah. was the last one. You were a part of pop cultural history. Yeah. He did an interview with Vogue where they asked him about why there are no plus size or trans, trans yeah. models. And he was like, well, we're selling a fantasy and that's not a fantasy. And I feel like that almost like single-handedly sunk VS because I feel even though it was obviously becoming outrageously outdated, if they hadn't come out and said said it. But it's like with Emily from Sporty and Rich. Like if you don't come out and say it, even though you obviously believe it, <laughs> yeah. it's like not as bad for yeah. you. Yeah. If you come out and say it, then you're like really back. You've painted yourself into a corner because you can't. Be like, oh, sorry, we just didn't realize. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Are they all skinny? Oh, my God. What? <laughs> yeah. But it's funny. We were both just reading a piece on the New York Times, which is kind of how I felt the whole time about everyone talking about Victoria's Secret. Because I'm like, honestly, I watched that show from when I was like 17 years old At to least, to, yeah. to the final one ever, which I watched in person. And it's like... At the time, once you get older, obviously not when you're 17. When you're 17, I was like, who's Miranda Kerr? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. When I was when Miranda Kerr came out in that little fluffy muff <laughs> outfit, everyone, all the girls, we, we were younger. I was like, we were like. Yeah, you're younger than me. I know, but I feel like we were even, I feel oh, like yeah. I was like 13, so you must have been like 14 oh, or 15. Yeah, yeah. We were like so young. We were in high school. Yeah. Like really I remember soon being in high, high school. school. And everyone was like, who the fuck is Miranda Kerr and it like it was like a sensation we all sat and watched the show together like eight of us and it was the most exciting thing yeah of all and then, time and then obviously as you get older you start you realize that it's bad that there's no diversity and that these girls are dressed in, in like dog collars yeah. and wearing Santa Claus outfits and and just the, the most foul stuff but that was like the, part of the fun I but think. at this yeah, yeah but at the same time I was just like I never focused on the fact that it was a collar around her neck and I never mm-hmm. focused on the fact that it was portraying these male fantasies because all we're seeing all I was seeing is these big angel wings 
and these like really pretty bras and these gorgeous women all doled up and, and, also, and not not thinking of it as being from a male perspective like i remember when i went to the show it's so obvious that it's going to be filled with kind of white old ceos in the audience because it's a, a victoria's secret show and they're a massive company but i was kind of taken back by it because in my mind, it was kind of for women as well. But I always think of it as being for women. Like, I don't know any men that watched it. Like, no. sitting and watching the Victoria's Secret show was such a girl bonding thing that you talked about. Like, girls knew all of the supermodels. Girls would laugh at how stupid the outfits were. The performers even were catered towards women. Like, having Drake or The Weeknd or whatever. Like, I feel like the whole spectacle was targeted at women, even though it spoke to this male fantasy. And I think that's why it never felt seedy. Yeah. Because it wasn't, like if our boyfriends were having viewing parties yeah we'd be like what the we'd fuck we'd be like ew what is this but it was like the men in our lives that barely Never, ever watched crossed that. their radar like, no. they wouldn't watch it they wouldn't so even know I, who any of the girls were exactly so I'm like even though it did portray this male fantasy it never ever felt like Sports Illustrated for example is really uninteresting to women because it's not targeted at women so you have this peripheral idea of like oh like Chrissy Teigen was a Sports Illustrated girl Gigi Hadid first job was a sports illustrated girl but it's like not for you yeah and, so, and same yeah. with playboy like the only reason yeah. we started knowing who playboy bunnies were was when they did that reality tv show which was targeted yeah. towards women yes exactly i'm like victoria's secret shows were always targeted at women and that's probably why you felt weird in the crowd because it was the first time we'd actually seen men looking at it mm. even yeah though, and it was yeah. the girls dancing and clapping and then all these old men standing up clapping <laughs> for them i was like this is yuck you guys are long in jail yeah and it's also like the show did lean on this idea of like we're all really good friends and we're all moms and we're all i don't know like it really leaned into all of these things that were very like feminine and quote unquote for women so i think that in that sense why were we obsessed with it for so long because it was like so horny and seedy but at the same time it was like really well marketed marketed yeah and i didn't it's like you kind of left it being like i feel like people would joke like i'm not gonna eat again after this or whatever but it almost just felt like the super bowl for girls it was like you weren't watching it like this is what supermodels used to be where you'd like look at them as these objects of fantasy and you didn't look at them and think i should look like that because they were being portrayed in this way yeah like i think instagram is so much more damaging for that because it's like girls you know have that like body. Adriana yeah. Lima bodies now always, for some fucking reason. It shocked me so Same. much whenever like a friend of ours would be in a bikini and I was like, what the fuck? You little Kate, sneaky you got bitch. Exactly. Yeah. But um, I'm like, that's so when you watched it, you're like, these are the elite of the elite of the elite supermodels. Yeah, I'd watch it with popcorn and like, yeah, like have you a didn't, sleepover. I'm not saying that it was positive. It obviously infiltrated no. our brains in some way, but it didn't. It'd be very easy to recast it now as this, like, evil, evil thing that we all were, like, brainwashed into watching. But we were all, like, very willing, active participants in this culture. Yeah, and all of us in the media all just being like, it's about time when a few years ago the entire world was watching it. It was, like, the, the most broadcast media. fashion show in the entire world. Yeah, in this New York Times piece they were like, you know, yeah, we can all laugh and say – Ha ha, it's about time it's over now. Like the demise of Victoria's Secret was coming for ages. We've got Rihanna now. And it's like every single big publication in the world wrote about the Victoria's Secret fashion show, including the New York Times. Vogue put the models on the cover. Yeah. They bec- The models. And like this is the other thing. I don't know how this has turned into a sticking up for Victoria's Secret segment. Yeah, but it's just like, uh, yeah, it's just like we don't do like a revisionist history where we're like, yeah, fuck Victoria's Secret. Because it's just like me and you sat and pulled like 12-hour shifts 
to work. At the magazines around. we worked at covering every single th- it was like Christmas when you worked in digital media. It was like the biggest day of the year content wise. Everyone was obsessed with it and then we fed the machine by creating the content for everyone's obsession. So yeah. like, pretending that we all hated it secretly is bullshit. And then the other thing which is worth noting is that for models before Victoria's Secret, for the most part, models were relatively unknown. Like unless you were one of the supers, you weren't really known. You weren't like covering you kind of it got to that era where instead of models covering fashion magazines it was celebrities as in like actors and singers and you know your taylor swifts and or whatever um and then victoria's secret actually gave these models a really really huge platform so they gave Mm -hmm. them a massive platform they pushed their angels into like the spotlight by naming them all and by it was kind of like that thing where way too late magazines realized that their staff should be influencers and, mm-hmm. but like Victoria's mm-hmm. Secret preempted that and pushed their girls knowing that like yes. the more people who cared about these specific women the better it is for the brand because you start like forming this connection with one or two of them and get so 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 obsessed and then you're obsessed with the brand and what goes on with it and then mm-hmm. they gave them a really really good paycheck they paid them so well so Gazelle was famously like one of the highest paid models in the world for a few years. And she once said that Victoria's Secret was 80% of her income. It's like, it's crazy. Obviously the modeling industry itself is such a problematic industry, but it's just interesting how like, it's no wonder that a lot of these models haven't said anything about Victoria's Secret shutting down because it gave them the platform yeah, it the made money, so the many fame. models' careers. So like, many models' careers. And I think that what Vanessa Friedman said in that piece for New York Times was so fucking smart, where she was like, Victoria's Secret was almost preempted Instagram, where it was like, if you create the platform and then offer the people that get involved in the platform the opportunity to become mega famous, you'll become unstoppable, basically. And that's exactly what they did, because in the noughties, I think it was the late 90s when Anna Wintour took over at American Vogue, but she basically bought in this era of having celebrities on the cover. So, like, the career model kind of died because back in the day getting a Vogue cover would, like, make or break a model where the infrastructure was shifting that, like, you had to be famous to get a Vogue cover instead of the other way around. Mm. So models were kind of, like, floundering in a sense because you had, like, the death of the old school supermodel. And Victoria's Secret really salvaged that by being, like, this is going to be the most elite type of supermodels that if someone is made an angel everyone will sit up and take notice to who they are and it was like nowhere else in the entire industry had that power Mm. really like pop culture wise it's like you can have models who are massive on runways that like no one outside a very selective group of fashion obsessed people will be able to name whereas Victoria's Secret could like literally turn you into a star overnight and like for example Bella Hadid was already the biggest model in the world But until she got cast in Victoria's Secret, she wasn't taken seriously. Yeah, which is hilarious when you think about what the actual job is. Yeah, but it was. And it was like, remember Gigi Hadid got like rejected three times before she got accepted. And even like it would create an infrastructure where like you'd be a Victoria's Secret angel. Like I'm thinking about people like Lily Aldridge and Bahati Prinsloo. Like you became a Victoria's Secret angel. Then you married a rock star who then performed on Victoria's Secret. Mm. And then that made you super, super, super famous. It's like even that infrastructure just kept feeding into the VS beast. It like literally dominated pop culture for so long. Leonardo DiCaprio dating every single one of them. <laughs> I know. He had like a little catalog. <laughs> I mean, it's really interesting. I think it will be really hard for them to compete now in this space of like, 
Same. I don't being I don't, kind I of thought... progressive and woke because it's like there are so many brands that do that beautifully where it's literally just obviously their actual brand values yeah. because they yeah. were doing that even when it wasn't like popular. Authentically. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I kind of just thought because it took them so long, I just thought they were like, fuck it. I didn't think they were, I did not expect for them to come back and just say, we've signed up all these women, we're doing this. They're, they're doing a podcast where they get like Priyanka Chopra and people to go on it and talk about why shopping at Victoria's Secret was traumatic for them and why it was such a bad brand and stuff. Like they're fully, <laughs> fully trying. And I just thought that they were. I so like that, that monk in the Da Vinci Code that keeps like whacking his back with like a yeah, rope. Yeah, I just yeah. thought they were going to put their hands up and just be like, well, fuck it. We can't compete. So we're just going to stay quiet. And yeah, like, or be like, like women are going to buy the like American blonde, like soon to be Karens don't care about this shit. And we're going to keep giving them yeah. puffy pink push-up bras. Yeah. Because they're still spending the money. Yeah, um, it's quite crazy. We'll see what happens. I personally think this will be extremely unsuccessful. Same. Unless they do like I mean, the skims where they create some sort of product that doesn't exist and is the best of its kind and all of a sudden everyone's like, I know I hate them, but like this is amazing. Unless they do that. Skims is so good. That's what I mean. It's like Skims succeeds in spite of itself because the products yeah. are so good. It's like they kind of need to do that. Yeah. Okay, should we have a top up? Yeah. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So I'll take the lead on this one because yes. it's a true Isabel a passion project, a true Isabel Truman special. So The Bachelor USA, which I always go on and on about on this podcast, Rachel Lindsay. So she was on a season with Nick Varley, who I've also randomly talked about so many times on this podcast because I've seen him a thousand times in person and on Raya. Um, one time I bumped into him at Coachella. One time I saw him at a cafe. Really? Um, seen him on Raya, but he is kind of notorious in the Bachelor Nation universe because he was just like one of those people that just kept going on the show. Okay. He was just on Bachelor in Paradise. He was Rara. Yeah. She came, I'm pretty sure Rachel came second on his series and uh-huh. she was really cool, amazing, and a black woman had never gone that far on the show ever. Just like quite crazy. Yeah. There'd never been a black bachelor or a black bachelorette. She went on it a few years ago and then since then she's kind of been hosting these post-bachelor what are they called like the talks where they talk about what happened on the show and podcasts and things like that Mm -hmm. um and she's just done a massive interview with new york magazine where she wrote a personal essay about her experience with the franchise basically saying that she no longer wants anything to do with it because of namely the incident which happened that we did we end up talking about it yeah yeah we did yeah um with 
Rachel Kirkconnell and Matt James on the most recent season of The Bachelor where Rachel was these photos of her surface from a couple of years ago where she was going to a what was it like a plantation themed party yeah i can't remember what they're called exactly but they're these like southern bell plantation themed. right i think they're prom nights right and then chris harrison who's been the main guy of the bachelor since it began stuck up for rachel wait just to backtrack those pictures came out when she was the front runner in a season with the first ever black bachelor yes so that's why it was especially controversial yeah And And then then, Chris Harrison came on Rachel Lindsay's kind of post-Bachelor show and she asked him about the photos and he just fully stuck up for Rachel Kirkconnell to the point where he like buried himself completely and then he was asked to resign and they paid him out nine million US dollars. So (gasps) yeah, he said that she was the victim of a woke mob and that it was totally unfair what was happening to her. Yeah, and he was like, the photos are bad in 2020, but were they bad in 2018? It's like, um, yes. Literally (laughs) 24 months ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we yeah, we talked about that and that was like quite wild. And then the finale of that, because he had picked Rachel before the scandal had come out. The finale proved like whatever teaching moment for a big conversation, a big awkward conversation about race. Mm. So people were kind of saying that they'd turned something, a bad situation into something semi good. But I feel like it just made the Bachelor franchise look really terrible. Yeah. So this Rachel Lindsay piece was just, it was so eye opening for so many reasons. But basically, Rachel talks about kind of being used by the franchise as their diversity card and them just heroing her as, you know, look, we're diverse because they picked they picked her like from the moment she went for her audition for The Bachelor. They thought she's going to be the next Bachelorette because we need a black woman. And in Rachel's, um, the way Rachel explains it was that they couldn't have a black man as the first lead of The Bachelor because still white America isn't okay with a black man coming into like white women's white families homes and and stealing and seducing their daughters daughters. so it had to be a woman and because she was the good quote-unquote black girl she was a lawyer she's super successful she was really smart she had to be exceptional to be able to get the role wasn't her father like a federal judge or something yeah she's like so yeah too good for the show yeah 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 so she said They'd cast me because on paper I made sense. I couldn't be like the bachelorettes who had come before, somebody who was still living at home with her parents, who had pageant queen on her resume. I was a lawyer. My father was a federal judge. at a squeaky clean record. I had to be a good black girl, an exceptional black girl. I had to be someone the viewer could accept. And then she talks about, you know, your time in the mansion, which like is kind of what you would expect. But it made me, it was quite worrying to hear how much these girls are drinking. Mm-hmm. she was just like we were drunk all the time which is like i guess kind of obvious when you watch it but when you think about the fact that you have no phones no contact with the outside world and are constantly swarmed by cameras and are being plied with alcohol it's like quite fucked yeah it also said just quickly like one little tidbit she said that they give the girls that they know are not gonna last too long gimmicks a gimmick for the first night I know. That's like fully opening the fourth wall. I feel like now every contestant will be like, no, 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 when someone tries to give them like a pie or like a fire thing. Yeah, I know. So, yeah, she just talks about how when they approached her to be the first black bachelorette, she didn't want to be a token. And so she'd asked, you know, there needs to be a lot of 
black people behind the scenes. There needs to be black producers. There needs to be a really diverse cast. You guys need to make a lot of changes. And they said that they were doing all of these things because they just wanted to like tick the boxes. But when it really came down to it, they just completely like missed the mark in so many ways, which is, you know, all you need to know is what recently happened with this Chris Harrelson thing. But what I found kind of just so disheartening, but I guess it's kind of similar to the Victoria's Secret thing where no, that are, none that I have seen, no like former bachelors or bachelorettes have spoken out in Rachel's like having her back yeah, right. after this piece has come out. And I kind yeah. of feel like it's that it's that don't want to bite the hand that feeds you thing because mm-hmm. they've all found fame from it, um, et cetera. But it's just quite – I literally went on Instagram on desktop to click on all the bachelorettes and bachelors to see if anyone had responded to have her back in this and to kind of step away from the franchise, but no one has. It's so frustrating, I think, because firstly, I think this piece just highlights – what it looks like when a white institution allows in a black person as Mm. opposed to creating a genuinely diverse TV show versus like white people saying we should have a black person come on because it makes us look better. Like this is exactly what it looks like. It looks like not having black producers to make the first black bachelorette feel more comfortable. It looks like not policing contestants so that someone who's had a plantation party is not included it looks like she talked about how there were storylines in her season of the bachelorette where basically black male contestants were kind of egged on by known racists who were allowed to come on the show to create storylines and how she kind of saw that happening not maybe to the extent that she finally saw it but saw that happening and didn't speak out about it how she wishes she'd kind of played the the system more and kept some of the black contestants that she knew she didn't have a connection with in further to give them the opportunity to showcase to an audience that she knew had a proportion of like racist viewers Mm. because they had courted that because they'd given you like 18 white brunette southern belle type women christian christian yeah like they'd literally courted a quasi-racist fan base and then just suddenly dumped a black woman in the middle of that and expected her to deal with it she was like, I wish I'd known to play that game and show those people, these amazing black men who are fantastic fathers and business owners and partners, even though I didn't have a connection with them. But I was so naive that I literally thought I was just picking who I was connecting with. All that stuff just shows you the exact opposite of what genuine like inclusion and diversity looks like because it has this gross, awkward, kind of icky feel of like white gatekeepers allowing one person in. Mm-hmm. to make and, themselves and like, look better and also choosing a person they thought that they were choosing a really malleable easy quiet mm-hmm. black girl who would kind of just act like a white girl mm-hmm. exactly and rachel didn't and that really surprised them so i love her so much and that, that's the thing, like proving how racist america is her season of the bachelor it was the lowest ratings by far at the time oh i don't God. know if any have been lower since but i remember when her season started no one watched it but this is the thing that used to happen in like magazines as well, where people would say like, oh, we don't put non-white women on the cover because they don't sell. And it's like, they don't sell because you've courted a racist yeah. f- like fan base or f- racist customer base by only putting white women on the cover for 10, 15, 20 years. Or you've courted the like notion that people have to look like you for you to identify 
with them. Yes, I think exactly. that was such a huge yeah. part of it. It was like people thinking that like because she's a black bachelor, they yeah. won't identify with yeah. That they're like entitled her love to story. look exactly like, like who's on the cover yeah. on the screen yeah. every single time. You've like pushed that message, and then you're suddenly using that as justification for yeah. you not changing when like you created the problem. Yeah, yeah, it's so frustrating. I mean, it's like no surprise. I do feel like the Bachelor, like Victoria's Secret, is one of those things that's just suddenly going to explode and end, and we're all going to be like, "How did we even watch that up until 2020?" That's insane. You know, it's never ever been a thing in the UK. That's random. Yeah, they've got Love Island, but not The Bachelor. Yeah, right. They don't even know what it is. Some of them. Mm. Some people I've talked to. Some people I've tried to speak to. (laughs) (laughs) That is weird. Yeah. I said they don't have Real Housewives here, really. I think they have like one. Mm, I think it's made in Chelsea's kind of... Yeah, they have their own version yeah. of shows that exist in every other yeah. country. It's, like, weird. Mm. But, yeah, poor and Rachel. They have the vagina show. Yeah, the vagina... They're, like, no to The Bachelor, yes to The Pussy Show. Yeah. Um, but, like, God bless Rachel, but at least she, like, literally... Didn't she meet her husband, who she's now yeah. married to on this? On so the that's show. Nice. I rewatched him proposing to her yesterday. Mm. I got on a Bachelor black hole last night. I was like, God, why am I here again? That's at least she got that out of this horrible mm. experience. And, uh, and I mean, I don't really even have too much of an opinion on it, but Matt James, the black bachelor, and Rachel Kakoto, the plantation girl, are together. Are they? Yeah, they're together. And also, I was wondering whether this was done on purpose. Plantation girl. The day that Rachel's thing came out for New York Mag, they posted their first photos on their Instagram grids of them being back together, even though they've been spotted together for months. And I was like, I wonder if Bachelor producers literally got them on the blower and said, um, you guys need to post that you're back together to drown so out we this don't look racist. Rachel thing. Right. Or just to drown out right. just so that there's positive Bachelor news at the same time as this. I'm sure they on did. On the same day. That's naughty. So naughty. Crazy. Temptation okay. Girl looks like Mila Kunis. Yeah, she's gorgeous. And what's, what's his name? Matt James. And Matt James is like ludicrously hot, really hot. Yeah. So he's so ra- you know he's so random. I know. Sorry, I'm getting niche, but like he's <laughs> so random. They always pick a former contestant, like mm-hmm. always on the US Bachelor. Yeah, and then they were being racist and didn't pick this guy called Mike Johnson, who they should have picked, who was this really amazing black guy on Hannah Brown's season. They didn't pick him, and then they picked another white guy like this really boring white guy and then so they realized they needed a black guy after black lives matter and so they picked like tyler cameron the guy who went out with juju hadid yeah picked his flatmate like his random flatmate who'd never been on the bachelor franchise ever yeah right (laughs) he just they were just like you can just go on it do it Uh, even that in itself is like an example of how yeah they were just like scrambling (laughs) we do have kind of an obligation to like boycott these shows when we realize how fucked they are are you capable of doing it? Like when they offer something as compelling as like Claire and Dale, how are we supposed to tune out? Oh my God. Our morals get <laughs> They're back together. That's nonsense. Yeah. Ab- I know. Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about Billie Eilish having to issue a groveling Instagram apology because a clip circus uh, – a clip circus? circus? A clip surfaced of her – I don't know why I find this funny, but she was 13. I'm just like, can we just give her a break? <laughs> like, it's good that she's being – conflict is not abuse, blah, 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 of her rapping Fish by Tyler, the creator, which, like, to be honest, is, like, not a good song for a 13-year-old to be singing along to. I was and singing along to Shaggy, It Wasn't Me, when I was, like, 11. Exactly. Like, this song is, like, truly heinous. I love Tyler, the creator, even though his lyrics are literally despicable. And I remember when this album came out, the Goblin album, and Fish is on it, and it's – a bop 
really onto like good job Billie Eilish for being across it at 13 but naughty girl because she wrapped it including a racial slur against Asian people and she's now apologized saying that at the time she'd never heard it used in a racist context so she didn't understand its meaning and she's really really sorry for anyone that she offended what I find interesting like Totally fine. Billie Eilish apologized. That's great. I'm sure it like upset some of her fans. And I think it's good that she made a point of apologizing. I think it's interesting that like Tyler, the creator who wrote the fucking song is also being like celebrated and like pitchfork. He's got this huge write up in GQ at the moment. I think he might be on the cover is like, he's just constantly celebrated in our culture when he wrote all of this stuff. And it's almost like when you just take this shameless attitude of just like, I'm literally not going to apologize. People just deal with you and obviously the people that do that always uh guys and men but it, yeah it's so funny that billy eilish has to apologize for singing along <laughs> to lyrics which is a child which is a child that an adult man wrote down wrapped and released and to the performs. world in a song yeah. and still performs and then she has to be like i'm so sorry that i sang along to that and then he's just like what yeah that's, it, it's so funny it's so that's what i mean like our culture has got kind is kind of like eating itself now where it's just like everything's upside down and backwards but i did think it was a kind of interesting way to segue into a topic which i think no one's interested in talking about because like that song <laughs> <laughs> except buckle us up girls. buckle up girls but it's like that song if you look at the lyrics of fish the racial slur is almost the least offensive part of that song like it's about like roofing a girl and he talks about punching her in the face and shit like it's revolting Jesus. but he's he got banned from australia do you know this he i got, don't know anything about rap i feel like 100 years old <laughs> like who are these people okay well tyler the creator is a rapper but he's like the, in that crew of oh, um yeah. he's friends with lucas like sabat and like asap and, and i don't think he was in odd future he might have been but yeah, like friends with yeah, frank ocean yes. he's like big fashion oh, person yeah. best friends with a kendall jenner yes being in the pages of vogue shot with kendall jenner yes cover of gq like culturally cute looking yeah, super cute. Yeah. I, I, his big thing as well was that he always used to say the F word, like homophobic slur. Uh, I feel like such a child whenever I say the blah, blah word. Hmm. But yeah, he used to say the F word. And then he's now been like, I'm gay, blah, 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 blah. But like no one knows. Why was he banned from Australia? He was banned from Australia for how disgustingly misogynistic his lyrics really? are. Really? Which is like... That's crazy. Hectic. Australia also banned Chris Brown. And the thing well, that's... Well, that's great. But the thing that's funny is like when Australia banned Tyler, the creator, I, along with everyone else, were like, fucking losers, Australia. <laughs> and I'm like, it's just funny to me that something has like happened in our culture where like rappers have <laughs> so much... losers, Australia? Yeah. I was like, yeah. you guys are so lame. Just yeah. let him come because yeah. we all wanted which to is, see which him. still is like... It is still late. It's just annoying because we're like, it's him. an artistic persona, but I'm like, I don't even think it is. Like, we're giving him so much leeway. Yeah. Because he's so creative. His music is amazing. Like, he's so talented that you just want to give him space. <laughs> space, space to swear. To grow. <laughs> space to, like, say his is, racial slurs. But it, like, is this thing with rappers, especially, I think, where I'm like, I literally don't even, I'm sure it's an element of it where we don't want to be seen to be criticizing black men. But I think more than anything, it's like, it's like they have such cultural cachet and they're so cool. You just feel like a loser if you criticize it. So they kind of get away with, like, all this misogyny. Yeah, you and just feel like a Karen if you're yeah. being like, hey, um, you, don't, you shouldn't. Stop uh, saying that. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't 
be wrapping about hitting a woman. You you belong in jail, don't Naughty you? Naughty boy. You shouldn't be allowed to come to Australia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it. You just feel like a, a loser. Yeah, and I think it's like such – I remember when Humble by Kendrick Lamar won the Triple J Hottest 100 number one spot – and it's like poor little muffin journalist who worked for pedestrian. I don't know who they were or anything being like, it says bitch all the time. It's, it's misogynistic. And like the comment section was just like, shut up, like shut the fuck. Like they just got absolutely destroyed. And I was like that poor writer. And it's like, what they're saying is technically correct. Like it's like, if anyone else, like if Angus and Julia Stone wrote a song that was just like, bitch, 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 fuck this bitch, blah, blah, bitch, blah, blah, bitch. Like, we'd be like, oh, that shouldn't get played on the radio. But it's like, because these people are these highly elevated artists that are also fucking cool, like are in with fashion and art and culture and whatever, it feels like we're just not able to criticize it without coming across as being massive losers. And I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. I remember I listened to, I used to listen to Eminem. Oh, yeah. When I was like 10 years old and he was talking about killing his wife and putting the body in the boot and throwing it over the thing. And I was like, yeah. woo. Yeah. <laughs> Died over here. You're like, yeah. tea's gone. <laughs> <laughs> literally. And there's like that one that he sang with literally Eminem. I mean, Eminem is Eminem a fucking is loser. Foul. So it's, it's like, it's easier. Loser. I know yeah. it is a racial thing because I'm like, uh, like Eminem. I'm like, you're just like a sad loser old man. Just Same. fuck off. Same. That's how I feel about like, who's another white rapper? So maybe it is, like there is like a I think there's like a white guilt thing mixed with a white reverence for black people and their culture that like comes together yeah. to inform this. You know what I mean? Because I do think Eminem is like much more criticized than which, like. But which, as you were saying to me earlier, is kind of how the way we view it and the way we let it slide. Yes. Impa- neg- impacts negatively on black women yeah because they're rapping about black women like predominantly predominantly so we're like it's like white women are like getting on their high horse complaining about diversity in victoria's secret and then a completely like having a free pass for like rap lyrics by asap rocky who's like the internet's boyfriend and tyler who's like kendall jenner's best friend who we all love and even to a certain extent i mean kanye for example kanye has some of the like really disgracefully sexist lyrics Mm. like really bad there's a song that he has called Hot Drunk Hot Girls that I love. Oh, it's a yeah. banger yeah. with Moz Def. Yeah. And that's just Drunken about like dumb girls. drunk bitches that he tries to like fuck basically. And it's like horrible. Even the Taylor Swift thing. I know that everyone knows this, but he was like, oh, you know, I feel like me and Taylor might still have sex because I made that bitch famous. When Taylor Swift got up at the Grammys and was like, don't let anyone tell you they made you famous. I was like, shut up, Taylor Swift. You're so annoying. <laughs> Whereas, like, that's fair enough. Yeah. That's extremely inappropriate and sexist. And then he called her and said, hey, I wrote a lyric. I said that we might still have sex. And she was like, ha ha, that's funny, I guess. And then got off the phone. And then he goes, I made the bitch famous. And she was like, you didn't tell me about that. And then Kim Kardashian was like, yes, he did. Yes, he did, probably. (laughs) I know. But it's like that thing, I think, where it's like, White women just are, like we talked about before, just do have this kind of inability to see themselves as powerful, which I think comes across as quite unlikable. And then we're also in a culture where we're like a hyper – it's like white people are like, like I said before, have hyper white guilt and then also have this kind of embarrassingly like fangirly reverence for black culture and black artists which is why women get cornrows and wear naughty outfits and stuff. And I think that combination has made it that we are just like never want to be the person that comes out and criticizes. I think an interesting example is 
this happened a couple of weeks ago where a guy got fired from Apple. Did you see this? Mm-mm. Because they unearthed a passage in a memoir he wrote in 2016 where he – it was like a misogynistic paragraph – but the memoir is – it's kind of trying to be like a Hunter S. Thompson gonzo journalist. Like it's adopting a character about like – It's embarrassing. Like he was trying to be like a guy talking about being at Facebook when Facebook was taking off. Like that Sean Parker yeah. like thing. It's embarrassing. And he was just like, girls from the Bay – don't Barack know how Obama to f- should be cancelled for trying to have sex with the leaky bisexual. That's what I mean. It was like that, like <laughs> that vibe where he's just like girls from the Bay don't know how to fuck or something. Like it was just embarrassing, and he got fired for that. Jesus, it's like, and it's like how comedians aren't allowed to say anything anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, they'll get cancelled, but then rappers can still say whatever they want. That's I think what I mean, but they so Apple still works with Dr. Dre. Is like mm. the big backlash, and Dr. Dre is like, "What's his like famous song? Let me find it." Yeah, he's got a song called "Bitches Ain't Shit," and the lyrics <laughs> like, "Bitches ain't shit, but hoes and tricks lick on these nuts and suck this dick." Bitches ain't shit. That's like a funny example. He has like loads of really horribly misogynistic lyrics, and he's in a more serious note has been accused of like very very serious cases of domestic violence by like multiple multiple women and a huge backlash to straight out of Compton when that came out in 2015 was that it like really sanitized the story of Dr. Dre because he was famous over those years for like getting drunk losing his mind and like literally beating women up in like public spaces so Apple still pays him millions of dollars per year. I find it like so crazy how companies continue to work with people who have been I think domestic violence is like the main one that people just still. Yeah, and all of these are are, are black women who have come out against Dr. Dre. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, for some reason, this like kind of, no offense, like loser guy writing some sort of embarrassing paragraph in a book five years ago can get him fired but allegations against you know like i just think that that double standard or that like blind spot in our culture is really kind of weird yeah it's like a reckoning that hasn't happened yet yeah that's so interesting ava duvernay tweeted after straight out of compton came out to be a woman who loves hip-hop at times is to be in love with your abuser and she Mm. basically said for black women especially it's like loving the music and wanting to support this culture because you want to uplift the work of black men while at the same time knowing it's coming at your expense from what I've been reading and kind of listening to about this, the way that like people like Ice Cube, uh, Snoop Dogg, sadly for you, Izzy, mm. and <laughs> Dr. Dre went about writing these really obnoxiously sexist lyrics, especially in the 90s. It actually pushed black female artists out of the rap space because it was run by these crews of like hyper toxic masculine men that didn't like yeah and literal gangs yeah it didn't give women room so people like lauren hill and like queen latifah and little kim to a certain extent they either had to be like working within that system or they were basically pushed out like like lauren hill was kind of pushed out of that system because Mm. she created one album and couldn't really like hack it and then I think it's interesting in terms of how we talk about WAP last year. I feel like now I look back at and we kind of talked about this off mic, but didn't talk about it on mic, but we were like, is this like <laughs> a feminist anthem? Or it was just like, if you fucking with a wet ass pussy. Like it like in that music video, it was like it felt groundbreaking because it was subverting rap tropes. 
that had objectified women. Yeah. So the fact that women were taking control is, of is it. Is, like, amazing. Is incredible. And the fact that it was black women, like, reclaiming something that had, like, objectified them was amazing. And working together when they've been constantly pitted against each other. Yes. Like Megan the Stallion and Cardi B. Williams. Yes. Yeah. that Like, that was so worth celebrating that it didn't feel like there was space to, like, talk about maybe some negative downsides of it. But it's just, like, rap has made so little room for women that it's, like, that's how not far along the conversation is that like WAP is like amazing and groundbreaking Mm. because like they're at the fucking start line. And the last thing I'll say on this, I read some pieces that were kind of saying that the reaction to Megan the Stallion getting shot were so mild and like were actually joked about by people like 50 Cent because what? Because he got shot nine times. So he wants to Pardon. talk about. Yeah, he like being posted some once. meme about it or something. Oh my god! But it's just like the fact that that even wasn't reacted to in our culture in this genuinely Crazy concerned, way. disturbed way in the way it would be if like Selena Gomez got shot. It's like because this rap music has kind of created a atmosphere of like disrespecting or degrading women. Or, like, normalizing a certain level of violence towards women, particularly black women, there was, like, this level of cognitive not taking it as seriously as we should because, mm. yeah. A hundred percent. I think it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I found the the lack of conversation around that so crazy. Okay, very quickly, a very quick Jardim moment of the week, which is – um. <laughs> wasn't even going to go in here, but I feel like it does. It does fit in here. Is the um, architectural digest tour of Cara Delevingne's Los Angeles home, which I sent to you last night after watching it with wide eyes for the whole like fourteen minutes. I'm happy you made me watch it because I feel like it's not something I would have. Yeah, I don't know why. To watch. It, I don't know how I even stumbled across it, but I clicked on it and watched it. And her house is just. Firstly, I was like, "How is she so rich?" She's a mo- she's like a model and an actress. I know that, and I know she's like very yeah, famous. She's also been in like three films. But I know she's famous. But I was like, Jesus Christ! It was like the most insane, lavish mansion. Like if you watched Kendall Jenner's Architectural Digest tour, Kendall Jenner's whole house could go into one of Cara Delevingne's rooms. Yeah. <laughs> like it was crazy. I was like, what yeah. the fuck? And it was just kind of this Alice in Wonderland absolutely wild crazy i think kind of as you'd expect i guess from her maybe but like crazy wallpaper crazy flooring crazy rooms she has a room that with the whole wallpaper situation is like fluffy like fur that you stroke and there's a swing in there because it's like a sex dungeon she has a full vagina that you step through to go into another room she like sits in it for like comfort <laughs> yeah she has uh what else was there there was a ball pit she's like a full human size ball, ball pit in her house that's right she has like a, a games room yeah she has like a hat room where it's just like all different hats it, it had like the vibe of like a kind of troubled child that had been given like <laughs> Michael eight Jackson's million dollars son. actually it literally reminded me of neverland the yeah. neverland ranch like yeah. i was like it has that i was like to easy it just had the vibe of like a person that's like trauma informed because it was just full of comforting very weird sources of comfort that only make sense if you like understand that vibe i actually was like i asked my architect to build this vagina in the wall and he just didn't ask questions and now i just sit in here if i need to be brought back to like the womb (laughs) and i think i think i do think that a lot of it is her just being 
very fu- funny like i think she is just a very funny person yes. and i think a lot of it is her just being like i've got all this money i'm gonna make it fucking fun and i think yeah. she's probably like an entertainer who has friends around all the time and has big parties and she's one of those people that's just like i'm rich so what am i gonna do with it i'm mm-hmm. gonna make it so fun for all my friends everyone's gonna come around for pool parties we're gonna have barbecues out here all the time like that would be the funnest house yeah I, I respect it honestly it's like the first architectural digest thing i've watched where i've just been like hell yeah like yeah. i'm just so that's the thing, stoked like, for you that's the thing like <laughs> when i watched it i was kind of put off by the fact that she was so obviously showing her her wealth in a way of just being like who needs a ball pit who needs like this yeah. in their house but then i'm like and all of the other in dakota johnson's and kendall jenner's like really peered back minimal chic homes i'm like they still have the money they're just not mm-hmm. spending it on a fun ball pit and i'd kind of prefer like the latter yeah, she's. I think it's because she's been, at least from my perspective, like out of the culture for so long. Like, I know she technically isn't because she's got like 50 million Instagram followers and is kind of doing stuff. But I feel like it's been so long since she was in the fashion world. Like, I feel like she hasn't really been around since like 2015 or 16. She kind of mm, like retired. Yeah. So I hadn't really seen her like talk or anything for years. And it was like, I was like, oh, you're, this is why everyone fell in love with you. You're just this kind of like kooky mm. character that happens to be very beautiful, but it's kind of almost by accident. And yeah, it, it's, it, it's not like your main feature. Yeah. It, it, it's like, it doesn't feel like any of it's put on or inauthentic. It feels like you're watching this kind of, I don't know what it reminded me of. It was like, I don't know, the seventies or something with these kind of eccentric billionaires that just have money and do something kind of bizarre with it. Like you had that mm. that vibe where you were watching this like very unusual Yeah. And she <laughs> like, would just she think. would be the kind of person she'd just be the fun she'd literally be the fun, funny, down to earth probably per- <laughs> person that you'd that you'd meet and it would be would be like Making you laugh, basically. Yeah. But, um, and it also had, like, the vibe of just, I don't know, like, what's that, like, portrait of, like, the sad clown in the mansion? What? Like, it just felt like she was just this, this gregarious, lovely person in this, like, giant palatial mansion on her own. Like, I get that she, you know, isn't always on her own. But I it kind know. of, it was kind of, it had, like, a tint of sadness or something I know. to it. Like, tragedy. Yeah that's kind of the most real part of it is that you would have all this money, you would have all this fame. And then a lot of the time you would feel really lonely because you're traveling all the time and your friends are all in different areas. And it's hard to hold down a relationship when you're filming in this place and then that place and all over the show. And then there's a pandemic and your girlfriend takes off with fucking G. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, what could be worse? Yeah. But yeah, I was thinking that as well. I was like, I would, I would absolutely hate to live here on my own. Yeah, she'd have friends. Yeah, I was like, I could never sleep in that house and all by myself. Even then. Yeah. It was really cute how she built a staircase for her dog so it could get onto her bed. Did she? I didn't see that. Oh my God. That's his staircase. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I would, that'd be my house. Yeah. It was really cute. Um, Happy for her. No, happy for her. But I just think these architectural digest tours are, I think Kara did it really well because she's a funny person and because her house is just, her house was like, like I just said, over the top. But then again, all these celebrities have money, so why not spend it in a fun, crazy way? But it at least like, it's interesting. Yeah. But then, like when Mila Kunis, 
and Ashton Kutcher did it. I was like, why are you guys doing this? This is just embarrassing and makes you you seem so much less down to earth. Like Exactly. I think this is the thing with celebrities because they like curate this relatable persona, the architectural digest. It's almost like they just can't help doing architectural digest. Because yeah. I'm like, why are you doing this? It makes you like You don't like, need to. You don't need to. And also like I ended up watching Troy Savan's one, which was actually like <laughs> really great because he just has this cute house in Melbourne. Random. That's like kind of expensive but not really it's mm-hmm. like what you and i would like actually buy and live in if we had yeah i would five never million dollars be fucked to do a house like car because i would just be like this is gonna take too long exactly to get the ball <laughs> but it but it is true where it's like that thing where is seeing celebrities whose job is to seem relatable and normal whilst they're also being disgustingly filthy rich and like outrageously overpaid mm that balancing act works and then architectural digest kind of like explodes that by having even having Cara Delevingne like obviously she would have good taste I can understand that but even her kind of saying things casually like oh well the architect that designed my first house designed this house and we had to have the Gucci wallpaper and we had to have a James Turrell and we had to have a blah 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 and I had to have a blah 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 piano I was like oh like this is what you're actually like not like it makes you a bad person but I'm like this is what you're actually like behind the scenes like you're actually well versed in the language of being the one percent which is like dropping yeah. half a million dollars on a James Turrell and dropping blah blah blah, blah whatever mm. that's how you actually talk but on Instagram you have it's, a it's language like, that's different yeah but it's like that it's literally that version of just the more you get paid the more you spend but yeah. on an lifestyle insane, creep but on an insane yeah. level yeah it doesn't make you a bad person yeah. but it's like it is funny that we like criticize we're now like eat the rich and like billionaires shouldn't exist and whatever and then we're also expected at the same time to celebrate someone that's like spent you know thirty five thousand dollars on wallpaper (laughs) and we're supposed to be like yes queen go off it's like you either think that's gross or you don't you know what i mean Mm. it's hard yeah i find hers less jarring than i do like ashton kutcher and mila kunis yeah i I find ashton kutcher and mila kunis is crazy because i'm like she's always just wearing like she cut off jeans and a baseball cap. Itzy. Oh my god! It's like yeah, it's like you're curating this. That them was so jarring. So like, you, I was like, you guys go to such an effort to curate this like brand of being like couple next door, super chill. Don't worry about us. We don't care about the glamorous lifestyle. And then you like made this like soulless mega mansion. Like, mm. It has no character. Yeah, it looks they, like a, they got the, the Soho House architect. That's like it, it looks like it? that. It literally yes. looks like they got the Soho House architect. Like, and Soho House, like is, home. Soho House is beautiful for like a Soho House for Soho a corporate House. space. <laughs> corporate so space and restaurant franchise lacunas that's so like a jade me lacunas thing to do yeah i we agree have to um stop recording so yeah i'm happy like i'm happy i feel the same where i'm like i'm happy the cara de levine house tour exists because it feels like it's like gray gardens almost like it feels like a relic of like i'm just i'm so happy to see inside this person's mind yeah and i feel like that about dakota johnson's as well like i'm I know. just She's i'm so thrilled cute. that we got to see that same but. and even kendall jenner made me like her a lot more yeah. Hers is so chill. I mean, Liv Tyler's made me, like, love her. I haven't watched that. She's a freak. Like, she's the best. She's like, oh, my God, let's go to the attic. And she just has, like, a Lord of the Rings sword. And she's like, oh, my God. And, like, pulls it out and, like, wields it. She's sick. Yeah, that's why these celebrities will want to do it because they'll see stuff like that and but be I'm like, But I'm like, I don't me. think they think they're being kooky. Like, I think they're just being themselves and they yeah. don't realize that we think that they're that's weird. deranged. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, bye. Okay, bye, guys.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.